good morning, everybody. As you know, many of you do, we are studying our way through the book of Acts, and it is fast approaching the very end. Next, next weekend will be the very end of this series that we have been in. And if you've been with us since the very beginning, then, then you have seen in this series how the church started and how for 25 years it experienced rapid growth. We've seen amazing miracles, we've seen harsh persecution, we've seen a church-wide controversy, we've seen intentional reconciliation, there's been evangelistic outreach, there's been missionary journeys and many other things up to this point in God's story and what has proven to be a very up and down journey of God's church. Well, these past few weekends, we focused mainly on the Apostle Paul and his three missionary journeys. And li literally, the back half of the book of Acts really does focus on the ministry that Paul is involved with and what he is doing, and that's taking center stage in the book of Acts. Now, a few weeks ago, we were in Acts chapter 19, and you might recall this, Acts chapter 19, verse 21. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. Now we've been tracking this for several weeks now that Paul always knew that he was going to eventually end in Rome. He knew that the Lord had told him to go to Jerusalem first, then go on to Rome, and nobody could understand why Paul wanted to do this. There wasn't an explanation that he was able to give that satisfied any of his friends. We've been looking at this for several weeks now. They've, all of his friends are like, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're probably going to be killed. That, that's what's going to happen. But Paul would not be persuaded. I don't even think Paul realized just how difficult going to Jerusalem was going to be. He knew God wanted him to do it. He knew that prison and danger was waiting for him. But I think, you know, um, of course, Paul's not here. He can't speak for himself. But I'm guessing if Paul had realized all that he would have to endure before he arrived at Rome. He would have to endure an illegal arrest. He would have to endure both Roman and a Jewish trial. He would have to go to jail for two whole years. He was going to have to endure a shipwreck. And we're going to look at that part of the story today. I think it's possibly, it's a good thing that Paul didn't know every single detail that was going to happen to him, because had he known ahead of time, I think he'd have been tempted to not do it. And along those kind of, of thinking as well, I, I think it's probably a good thing that God chooses not to reveal every detail of our lives ahead of time. I used to think, and I've had some times, I'm like, boy, I sure wish I knew what the next 10 years were going to be like. I sure wish I knew how the next 20 years were going to play out and I could make plans and preparations. But, you know, if God were to tell us ahead of time about every storm or every trial that we would ever endure, I think we'd be tempted to avoid it at all cost. Wouldn't you? I mean, if I knew the struggles that were about to come my way, I'd do everything I could to, to go around it or to swerve instead of trusting God and just putting my faith in him, say, God, you're going to see me through this. And this is my opinion, of course, but I think trusting God to see us through difficult situations is one of his preferred methods of helping us mature and become complete in Christ. I think that's how he does it. He uses some hard times to shape us and guide us, and our job is just to be faithful and trusting all the way through it. 
So we see Paul simply trusting God. He has a long track record of just following the Lord and trusting him, and that's what he's doing here. He doesn't have all the details laid out in front of him, but he knows he's eventually gonna enter into, or get to, to Rome. He goes to Jerusalem first. He's immediately arrested, as we saw last week. He is, he's about to be killed by an angry mob, but, but he gets put in prison instead. That's Acts chapter 24, 25, and 26. It's a two-year period of time where um, he, he doesn't know what's going to happen. It's during that two-year period of time he had the opportunity to uh, talk about Jesus with some very influential people, didn't he? A couple governors and a king. But what was the surprise in all of that time? Two years, lots of preaching, zero conversions. I'm confident that those two years were extremely difficult on Paul. I mean, can you imagine just being in prison? You've been out traveling the world, telling people about Jesus, and all of a sudden you're stuck in a cell, and then the people you do get to talk to, they don't respond. I, this, is, this has got to be, be difficult. Well, I, I hope you've done so, and if you haven't done so, I hope you will do so, but I hope you'll read those three chapters, 24, 25, and 26, um, because when you do, then you will realize that at the end of that two-year stay, he was about to be let go. In fact, the powers that be, they were saying, hey, he's done nothing wrong and we're gonna let him go. But if you read the whole thing, you realize Paul did what? He said, I wanna make my appeal to Caesar. I wanna plead this all the way up to the highest person in the country. I wanna go to Rome. And because of the law, the way it was in their day, if you make that appeal as a Roman citizen, I wanna take this to Caesar, they have to send you to Caesar. So they were gonna let him go. But he said, I'm going to Rome. And, and maybe this was somewhat driven along knowing that God wanted him in Rome anyway. I, we're not real sure, but they were going to let him go. But they put him on a ship instead to Rome. And this is, this is where we pick up with Paul's story. He's boarding a ship, Acts chapter 27. And I really think that the leaders for the last two years had this attitude. Adios! I think they were tired of Paul. They didn't know what to do with him. And they were glad to see him off to Rome. So if you got your Bibles and you have them open to Acts chapter 27, that's where we're going to be. Um, Acts 27 is really one of those exciting chapters in the Bible. It's an extremely detailed account of Paul's journey by ship to Rome. And if you were just to even give Acts 27 just a quick read, just a quick glance, you're going to realize that this trip to Rome was no easy journey. So let's start reading together. Acts chapter 27, verse 1, it starts out like this. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded a ship from Adametrium, about to set sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus a Macedonian from Thessalonica was with us. Now I want to press pause real quick. I want to point out just a couple things. Don't want to make a huge deal out of this, but I think it's worth mentioning. I want you to see that in this short description, Paul was not alone. He wasn't alone. There, there, we, we realize there's some people with him. Um, Paul had some friends. We know that Luke was with him. Luke was the one who wrote the book of Acts. And I don't know if you notice this, I've pointed these out to you in the past, but there is a pronoun shift again that happens in Acts chapter 27. What's it say? We will set sail. We will. So this indicates that Luke is now back with the group. 
So somewhere in the two years that Paul was in jail in Caesarea, Luke has traveled there and he is with Paul and he's helping him out. So then just for clarity, a lot of the book of Acts says they, he, Paul went, but, but there are parts as we went. So Luke is there along the way and he details every account of their journey to Rome. Luke possibly went as his personal physician. Maybe he was granted permission to travel along because he was uh, Paul's doctor, maybe. We don't know. But it also says that Aristarchus went as well. Aristarchus went. Um, Aristarchus was probably Paul's personal assistant. You know, we're sure. He is mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament, like in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. It, there's a reference to Aristarchus being a fellow prisoner of Paul's. So that might suggest this. Again, we don't know for sure, but that might suggest that this guy named Aristarchus maybe voluntarily went with Paul and voluntarily became a prisoner. And it might be a guy who said, if you're taking Paul, you're taking me. And they probably obliged. It wasn't unheard of back in that day. So there could be that he voluntarily went as a prisoner. And that's why Paul references him as a fellow prisoner in Christ. Uh, uh, you know, we're not really sure, but I, I read this. And I read Luke was there and I know Aristarchus was there. And how Paul must have thanked God for his faithful friends who gave up their liberty, who risked their very lives that, he, that they could provide the help that he needed. And I wonder, wouldn't you love to have a friend like that? How many of you would love to have a friend like that? You don't have to raise your hand on this, but how many of you have a friend like that? I have a friend, his name is so-and-so, and if I was boarding a prison ship to Rome, he'd go with me. Anybody got a friend like that? I mean, what a, well, some of you are like, nope. <laughs> anyway, uh, but Paul had some friends like that. Helen Keller famously said one time, or, or signed it, Walking with a friend in the dark is better than walking alone in the light. Somebody who couldn't see and couldn't hear, I think, understood better than all of us the power of friendship. I wonder just how much strength Paul got from those friends. Paul was just a guy. You know, the church today, we elevate Paul to almost Jesus status, don't we? Kent Williams, when he preached here a few weeks ago, he said something, I'd never thought about it this way, but it kind of, it, it, it hit me. Is he said, you know, Paul didn't know at the time that he was the Paul. I mean, that's, you know, we have built him up. Paul was a guy, he wasn't perfect. He writes a lot about his imperfections and, and he's just a guy who's trying to do what God wants him to do. God, I believe, had a special anointing on his life, gave him special gifting, but he had a drive. But at the end of the day, he's a guy who had doubts, he, he probably questioned himself. There were times he didn't believe in himself, I'm guessing, because he's just like the rest of us. How important were these two friends, Luke and Aristarchus, to come around him and say, keep going, Paul, you got this. We're right here with you. And I'm thinking, man, wouldn't we all want a friend like that? I think, and this is my opinion, but if there is a place in the world where friendships like this can form, I mean, friendships that will make you become a better follower of Christ, Friendships that um, will stick by you no matter if you're having the best day of your life or the worst day of your life. The kind of friends that won't simply walk an extra mile with you, but they would pick you up and carry you the extra mile if that's what it took. I, I think friendships like that 
are best found inside the family of God. I believe friends like that exist in this place right Right now, maybe you're here today because you need a friend like that. You desire it. Maybe you've given up on having any kind of close friendships like that. And I just want to encourage you today, don't give up on that. I, I believe that quite possibly a friend just like that might be sitting in this room right now. You just don't know them yet. The kind of friend like Paul had in Luke and Aristocris, who would voluntarily go through perilous times with you. So Paul is not alone, and I think it was these friends that helped keep him going. And I, I think this is a good time to, to say a quick word about life groups. We're getting ready to start the next season of life groups here at New Life. Life groups are, you know, 8 to 12 people that get together in somebody's home throughout the week, and they study God's Word together, they pray together, they fellowship together. I think if you're looking for a friend, you're not in a life group, man, life groups might be the, a great place to, to, to plug in. Our life group, our current version of our life group started about a year ago, and half of the people that, were in our, that are in our life group, my wife and I, we did not have a relationship with them before that. We didn't know them very well at all. But what has happened over the last year is some of these people in our life group, all of them really, have just become these dear friends of ours. And, 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 and it would not have formed without our life group. These are the friends of ours that we, 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 we pour our hearts out to, that we do life together with, we do things together. Our kids are kind of the same stage of life. I mean, life groups created this environment where these kind of friendships could flourish. And maybe, maybe that's what God wants you to do too. So if you're not in a life group and you desire these kind of relationships to study and to pray and to grow with, why don't you sign up for Group Link? It's gonna be next Sunday night. And there's going to be a meal there. You're going to come in and be a part of it. It's a fun evening. But you're going to get into a life group that night. And you're going to have these people that you can start down this journey with. And we'd love to see what God's going to do with that. You know, we also have another option. We're going to be having a Sunday night life group starting on Sunday night, September 15th. Now, this is a little bit different than what we've done in the past. This is come one, come all. I know that meeting in somebody's home and, and committing to a weekly life group, you know, sometimes that doesn't always work out um, for a lot of reasons. But this Sunday night group, we're going to have child care provided. It's going to be a little bit different than a life group, but you're going to come here to the church. And depending on how many people are here, we'll then have some fellowship and then we'll divide off into smaller groups. And you'll meet throughout the building for, you know, 45 minutes or so, and you'll do the study guide that we provide, and you'll pray together, and, and you'll get to know one another, and, and I think God can do some really special things in that setting as well. Now, you don't need to come to Group Link to be a part of the Sunday Night Life Group. Just show up, and we'll be ready for you, and I think it's a really, some really great things are going to happen there. Maybe you're like, I'm ready to lead a life group, and I want to I lead one of these in-home life groups. If that's you, and you've kind of got that calling on your heart, I want to connect with you. When you sign up for Group Link, you'll see on the, the, the sign-up form, there is a place for you to, to fill in about being a life group leader. And if you fill that in, we're going to follow up with you this week, and we're going to talk about what it looks like to be a life group leader, maybe starting one with you. But I'll tell you, relationships are huge. Now, I've said this before, New Life Christian Church is just the church you attend until you start to build relationships, and then it becomes your family that you belong to. I really feel strongly about that, and I hope that all of you can start building these relationships with each other. Now, getting back to our text, if you were to keep reading 
uh, the next few verses, you're going to see how they, they set sail and they have a lot of difficulty um, getting to where they, they want to go. It's, it's with much difficulty they reach this uh, port in Fairhaven. It taken, it's taken much longer than they had expected. Winter was fast approaching. And there was a lot of discussion on the ship about whether they should just park it for the winter and then resume their journey three months later, or should they keep going? Here's what happens. Look at verse 9. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the day of atonement. So Paul warned them. You get the picture? Paul's in chains. He's a prisoner. Let me give you what I think about what we should do. And they're not going to listen. Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives as well. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unstable to, or unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix. That's not Phoenix, Arizona, in case you were wondering. Although Phoenix is not a bad place to spend your winter. Different Phoenix. So they're trying to get to Phoenix. They're going to winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, in Crete uh, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Now, that's some pretty detailed descriptions of what they were doing and where they were trying to go. If you look back at verse 10, doesn't that seem a, a little prophetic? What did Paul say in verse 10? He said, I can see that uh, this is going to bring great disaster to both the ship. It's going to be great loss. Um, Call it a vision, call it a premonition, whatever you want to call it. Paul knew that, that this is going to be a disastrous thing. And, and, you know, Paul, by this point in the journey, he is no stranger to traveling by ship. You saw how much time he spent on a ship on his third missionary journey trying to get back to Jerusalem. He's very familiar. Before this happened, we learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 25, prior to this trip, three times, He's been in a shipwreck. He's been spent a day and night in open water, floating around there, waiting to be rescued. Paul is no stranger to traveling by ship. He knows what he's talking about. He's kind of an expert on disasters at sea, it seems like. So he's trying to warn them, don't do it. But they did not listen to him. And it's a decision, it's an attitude, if you will, that will be met with a lot of regret in just a few short days. Look at verse 14. Here's what happens next. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Nor'easter swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. <clears throat> so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. They then, then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor to let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands when neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days and the storm continued to rage. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Wow, do you hear the desperation in what he is sharing here? 
I love the details that Luke gives us. With these very details, we can easily trace everywhere that they were or where they were trying to get to um, on this journey. On the screens behind me is a map. It's going to be similar to ones you've seen before. If you've got a Bible with maps, you've got something that looks similar to this. We can see this is where all of this took place. Um, There, you know, Paul had to go to Jerusalem. You guys see Jerusalem on the map. He had to get there. And then um, he gets there. He gets arrested. And there were 40 guys that had vowed to not eat or drink until Paul was dead. You remember that from last week? And they were going to break into the jail and they were going to kill him. So the Romans shipped him off to Caesarea, which by today's standards is an hour's long drive today. But he went up to Caesarea and there he's in jail for two whole years in Caesarea. And then after they send him off to Rome, because he made his appeal to Caesar, they travel north along the Mediterranean Sea, and then they catch ships and they travel this way. And this island, kind of right in the middle, is the island of Crete. And, um, and that's where they're trying to figure out, well, what do we want to do? Do we want to try to winter up here and continue on to Rome, or what's going to happen? The reason I love the book of Acts, and what I want us to never lose sight of, is that the the book of Acts is in fact a historical document. It talks about real places, real history, real events, real people, and real places that you can go and visit this very day. And because because Luke wrote in such a detailed way, it is easy for us to understand where they were and when these things happened. But somewhere out here in the Mediterranean Sea, the wind blew them past where they wanted to go. And somewhere out here in the middle, they spent days and nights. They couldn't even see the sun or the stars. And this storm was really violent. They thought all hope was lost. Have you guys, do you guys watch that show Deadliest Catch on the Discovery Channel? Some of the storms those guys get into are crazy. And, and uh, think about a storm like that, but you're not in some big modern ship. You're, you're in a wooden vessel. There's no GPS. There's no Coast Guard. You are literally out here on your own. And so you hear the desperation when Luke's like, all hope was lost. I don't, I don't know the answer to this question, but I wonder at what point out here in this storm did the, did the, did, did the, the guard, the pilot, and the owner stick their heads together and say to themselves, oh my goodness, we should have listened to Paul. I don't know. I don't know if that ever happened, but I wonder, uh, somewhere it had to have, it's got to, where does it, we should have listened to that guy back there named Paul, who's in chains, who had some experience on ships and told us we're heading for disaster, and that regret. I don't know. Um, In your app, I I left a link that you can copy and paste into your browser, and it will take you right to uh, a detail, this exact same map, if you want to look at it more closely. The nice thing I love about maps, especially this one, is that you can lay a map next to your Bible, and as you read, you can find the places, and you can track it yourself. It's very easy to do, and and I love the fact that you can go to these places today, and it's, it's just like Luke wrote about. Well, you know, I think that Paul's journey to Rome and the storm that they encountered, it's a great metaphor on life. Because I think that we can talk about a physical storm that actually happened, and I think that this storm actually parallels things that we encounter in our our daily lives. I, I see parallels all over the place. Here's one of those parallels. Sometimes we can get ourselves into life storms for the same reasons these guys got into their storm. And it can be summed up in one word, impatience. Impatience. They simply didn't want to wait. 
They wanted to get going. They were impatient and, and they did not want to listen to what Paul, who I think was speaking on behalf of God, did not want to, to listen. And that impatience, what did it do? It drove them right into a storm. You might find yourself in a situation right now. Currently, you, you might find yourself in one of these storms of life and you're not sure what to do about it. Can I encourage you to do this? To pray, and I mean pray more than once. And be patient. Whatever you're experiencing right now, don't get impatient. Just wait for God to do what God does and, 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 and have this peace in your heart before moving forward. Don't get impatient with God. So pray and pray more than once. Pray daily. Continue to put this in front of God. Tell him how you're feeling. He already knows. Verbalize how you're feeling. Tell him about your fears, your desires. Talk to God and say, I'm gonna trust you regardless and be patient. I see another metaphor. The pilot on the ship, the guard, the owner. What did they do? The Bible says it very clearly. They decided to go with the advice of the majority over the will of God. Did you read that in there? They decided to go with the majority. Paul told them, like I said, I believe on the authority of God, don't go. But like, we're not gonna listen to you. We're not gonna listen to somebody who speaks for God. We're gonna go with the majority. And that majority drove them right into the storm. I think there are times in our lives too as Christians, we are tempted to listen to the majority when we should be seeking out the will of God. Here, here's a formula, friends. If we follow the majority without seeking the will of God, that tends to drive us to some storms in life. I see this so clearly in our society today. I could probably give you a hundred examples of this, but I'll give you one example where I feel, feel like the majority has driven our country right into a storm. So the majority says, live together before you're married. That's what the majority says. Majority says, that's what everybody does. Majority says, it's the economical thing to do. Majority says, how are you gonna know if you wanna spend the rest of your life with that person if you don't try it on first? Majority says, it's healthy to experiment with many sexual partners so that you'll find and figure out what fits your taste because you don't wanna marry somebody that might be the wrong person for you in that department. That's what the majority says. And when it comes to this subject, we are all currently living in the storm of the majority as a country. A storm that's especially affecting our 20s and 30-somethings. Storm that's drastically affecting our teenagers. Maybe by this point, as our culture has continued to drift, it's just kind of affecting everybody. To the point where the bulk of Americans can't even clearly define today what marriage is, who it should be between, or what God's desire for it is. So as a nation, as a nation, we are in the storm of the majority on this subject. So these sailors, they were impatient and it drove them to a storm. They accepted the majority over God's will. 
and it drove them right into the storm. And it's going to cost them dearly. Here's what happens next. Look at verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice. This is the big I told you so verse in Acts chapter 27. You should have listened. You should have taken my advice to not sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Friends, I think that's the position of the church. Not to have a big I told you so, but to be people of faith who will stand on God's word and say, we're not gonna do it. This is what God would want us to be. And if we have to stand in the face of the majority, Paul was the only one on the ship talking this way. Sometimes we'll find ourselves the only person in the room, the only person at work, the only person at your school who says, no, I'm gonna do it God's way. I'm not gonna go with the majority on this. It's a hard position to be in, but God will honor it. God will honor faithfulness. So Paul is saying, I think nicely, you should have listened, but now I'm gonna tell you the truth. He says, you'd have spared yourself for you to listen to me. Um, I don't know why it is. And maybe it's just human nature. We've all experienced this. Every one of us can relate to what I'm gonna say. But I don't know why it is that we have to wait until there is a storm in life and we don't know what we're gonna do about it until we finally listen. And if we can figure that out, then, then I, I think we have to be a big blessing to the world if we can figure that one out. Why do we have to wait till there's a storm raging and where we don't know what we're gonna do and put our hands up to finally listen? Um, this is gonna date me quite a bit, but one of my favorite Christian bands growing up was a group called DC Talk. Do you remember them? You remember them? Okay, all right. Um, Toby Mack, who has a successful career now, that he used to be in DC Talk. And um, 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 one of the guys from DC Talks now the lead singer in Newsboys, you know. I can't think of his name, so off the top of my head, it's lost me. But they're still around, but they're not the group they used to be. I used to love DC Talk. I used to put their cassette tape in my car. Remember those? And Blair, I mean, it was awesome. They, they had a song way back when I was in high school, and uh, it was called The Hard Way. And I want to read you some of the lyrics because, and I'm not going to sing it for you. And I said that last service, I'm not going to sing it, and somebody goes, I'm not going to sing it for you. But, um, thanks. And, um, but the lyrics are powerful, and I think they speak some truths that we're reading in Acts chapter 27. Here's how their song goes. I think it's spot on. Starts out, some people got to learn the hard way, and I guess I'm the type of guy who has to find out for myself. Can any of you fellas relate to that right here? Some people got to learn the hard way, and I guess I'm one of those kind of people. I had to learn the hard way, Father. I'm on my knees, and I'm crying for help. Now I've been high and I've been low. I've been some places that you will not go. I thought there would come a day. Now I never thought there would come a day when I wished I'd never lived this way. But I've been searching for a long, long time. I thought the devil was a friend of mine. I turned my back on everything that was true and wasted years that belong to you. It's a good song still. Go to Spotify and look up DC Talk the hard way. You'll love that song. I should have included that link in your app too. It's interesting. Storms in life 
have a way of bringing out regret. And you, you know what regret sounds like when you verbalize it? Like if you speak out your regret, you know what that sounds like? It, it sounds like this. I wish I had not done that. It also, when you verbalize regret, it sounds a lot like this. Oh, how I wish I would have listened to so-and-so. And we're talking about regret that may be decades-old regret that still sneaks up on you, sometimes in storms of life, and we're tempted to say, oh, if I just had made a better decision all those years ago, I wouldn't be dealing with this now. Storms have a way of bringing up those kind of regrets. Even stuff that's been forgiven by God still sneaks up on us at times. Storms kind of reveal those regrets. But you know what regret also does? And I think some of you really need to listen. You know what regret also does? Regret has a way of opening up our ears to hear God's voice. Regret doesn't have to bury you. Regret can turn you. Regret can shape you. Regret may be one of those emotions that God can take. And like what says in Acts or Romans 8, 28, that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him. Sometimes regret might drive that promise of God because regret has a way of opening up our ears and tuning them very closely to hear God's voice. So if you've got some regrets in your life, Moving forward is much easier when that regret causes us, motivates us to reshape our focus and tune in on God's voice. It's why I say all the time, God cares more about where you're going than where you've been, amen? Amen, so if we are like, I don't like where I've been, let's tune our ears to what God is pointing us towards. That's what regret can also you. Regret does not have to bury you, and regret doesn't have to be the worst thing you ever experience. Regret can turn your heart to Jesus and let God work on your heart from there. If you look at verse 22, here's what happens next. Paul said, but now I urge you to keep up your courage. Now remember, this is all happening, and there's waves crashing over the ship, okay? This is how this calm, this isn't some calm, peaceful sea where everybody's whispering. No, 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 no. Paul's probably shouting because of the storm. But now I urge you to keep courage because not a one of you will be lost. How awesome as it is for somebody to speak some kind of truth in your life when the waves of life and the storm are crashing across your bow. It's pretty awesome. So he's saying, take courage. And then he says this in verse 23, pay real close attention. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. Do you understand Paul understands his audience really well? He knows who he's talking to and he shapes his conversation and he puts it in words that they can understand. He's with a bunch of prisoners. He's with a bunch of people that don't follow the Lord. He's with a bunch of people that worship false gods and multiple gods. And he's saying to them, listen up. I've got your attention now. You should have listened to me. But now that I've got your attention, let me tell you something that happened. We're gonna make it. Have courage because the God whom I serve, he clarifies, not the God you serve, the God I serve an angel came and appeared to me and said, we're gonna make it. They could understand that. He puts it in words they can get. So he said in verse 24, do not be afraid. This is what the angel said. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. In other words, Paul doesn't have all the details. He just knows we're gonna make it. 
It's at this moment in the text, you can actually kind of feel it unfold in writing that there is a new leader on the ship and that new leader is Paul. He becomes in this moment, the voice of salvation and the voice of hope and everybody is now listening to him. So this storm, it it brought on regret on the part of the sailors, but that same regret did open up their ears to hear what Paul was trying to say to them. So he started as a prisoner, but he's gonna end this voyage as the captain. And you know, a storm does not make a person. A storm shows what a person is made out of. That's what storms in life do. So there's a gentle rebuke that Paul gives to the leaders on the ship, and soon they're gonna discover that the only reason they survived is because they listened to Paul. Well, if you keep reading, and I hope you will finish off this chapter on your own, it's very exciting. It will bleed right into chapter 28, and we'll get to that next week. But the ship does finally run aground off the coast of modern-day Malta, and they don't know where they are. Remember, there's no GPS, there's no, none of that stuff. They just see some land, they cut anchor, and they do everything they can to, to run their ship towards that piece of ground that they see off on the horizon. They do get there, they run aground, the ship is torn into pieces, but all 276 people on that ship, they do make it to shore alive. You know, today, we've been talking about two things at the exact same time. We've been talking about an actual storm that actually happened to real people. And at the same time, we're still talking about storms that we encounter in in life. So metaphorically, we've been talking about very difficult situations that we encounter and why we might encounter those. But before leaving this, what I think is a very exciting chapter of the Bible, um, I want to quickly look at four practical lessons from Acts chapter 27 that teaches us a few things about the storms in our lives that we can encounter and how we should be. The first one is this. Not always, again, hear me, not always, but some storms often come when we disobey the will of God. Now, not every storm we encounter is because of disobedience, but there are some storms that we sail right into, and it's directly because we disobeyed God. Jonah in the Bible is a great example of this. You remember the story of Jonah? God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. That's what the Lord said to him. And Jonah said, no way, Jose, I'm not going. Or maybe it was more like, no way, Jesus, you know, Jesus. No, I'm not doing it. And what happened? He actually did encounter a storm, didn't he? He got thrown overboard, eaten by a big fish. God said, no, yes, you will. You know, that is kind of a a, a great example of, of some of us, some, we all, I've contended for years, we all have a little Jonah blood in us. We all have a little, that thing inside of us, I'm not gonna do it your way, God, I'm gonna do my own thing, and we've all been there. We've all had a little bit of Jonah in us. It was not Paul who was at fault at all in Acts chapter 27, but it was those who were in charge of the ship. Sometimes we also suffer because of the unbelief of others. And that's why I pointed out that that example about living together before you're married. The majority says this, and we right now are in a storm as a country, and we're enduring that storm because ungodly people who didn't listen to God have driven this country right into it. But as a church, we are to be that light. We are to be the ones to stand up on truth, 
and say, the majority can do this, but we're going to stand on what God wants. We're going to be godly, holy people. This is what we're going to do. That's the, what's, that's the church's position. So not always, but storms do come when we disobey the Lord's will. Number two, here's another practical lesson I think this chapter teaches us. Storms do have a way of revealing our character. If you go back and read the entire account, you're going to see that some of the sailors on that ship, they selfishly tried to escape. Others could only hope for the best. But it was Paul who simply obeyed the will of God. See, this storm revealed to everyone on the ship Paul's character. And I want to say something about a storm you might be in right now. The storms of life speak volumes of who you are and whose you are. Storms reveal the kind of people that we truly are. Third thing, even the worst storms cannot hide the face of God or hinder the purposes of God. Even the fiercest thing you're enduring cannot hide God's face. Paul received word of assurance from God. Remember what God said? You're going to go to Rome. That whole trip, Paul knew, I'm not going to die. Now think about it. He's the only one on that ship that's like not, you know, I would imagine even Luke and Aristocrats were probably like saying, all hope is lost. That's what Paul, Luke wrote. But Paul knew because God had told him, you're going to make it to Rome. Paul knew he wasn't going to die. There was an assurance inside of him that God was, was ultimately in control and he never lost sight of that fact. And I wonder in the storms that we encounter, do you sometimes lose sight of the fact that God is still in control? That God may be using this to advance his purposes. God may be using this to advance you in your walk with him. God is in control. Paul never lost sight of that. And maybe that's a great reminder for us today. The final lesson that I think this chapter of the Bible clearly says to us is this. Storms can give us opportunities to serve others and bear witness to Jesus Christ. Paul was the most valuable person on that ship. You know why? Because he knew how to pray, he had faith in God, and he was in touch with the Almighty. You may find yourself in a massive storm right now. You, and you maybe didn't even cause it. Maybe you're suffering because of it. Maybe, and maybe we should think this way, that God is positioning you for just the right moment like this to serve others and bear witness to Jesus Christ. In a storm, you may be the only one saying God has a better way. Have you ever thought of yourself in a position like that? Maybe in your neighborhood, maybe even in your family, maybe at work, maybe in some golf club, maybe in some whatever. You might be the only guy or gal who says God has a better way. And God is gonna use you to serve others and bear witness for Jesus. Some great lessons. Can I pray for you?